New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. Do you expect your memory to be better or worse 10 or 20 years from now? Are you hoping that someone will develop the mental equivalent of Viagra? In the last 30 years, scientific evidence supporting the notion that your mind can improve through the years has become overwhelming. The question is no longer whether your mind can improve with age, but rather how you can optimize your mental powers as you get older. Shattering the wildly held cultural belief that the brain deteriorates with age. Now there is a blueprint to optimize brain function and improve quality of life. And this provides the focus for this edition of New Dimensions with our guest, Michael J. Gelb. Michael J. Gelb is a world-leading authority on the application of genius thinking to personal and organizational development. A pioneer in the fields of creative thinking, accelerated learning, and innovative leadership, he leads seminars for organizations such as DuPont, Merck, Microsoft, Nike, and many others. Along with Sarah Miller Caldicott, he is co-author of Innovate Like Edison, the success system of America's greatest inventor. He's the author of How to Think Like Leonardo da Vinci and co-author with Kelly Howe of Brain Power, Improve Your Mind as You Age. Join us for the next hour as we explore how we may improve our mental powers as we age with our guest, Michael Gelb. My name is Michael Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Michael, welcome. Thank you. Nice to have you here. So, um, let's begin. The it, what is interesting to me is that uh, this whole idea of the elderly, and you, you uh, I guess it was in uh, in Tony Bizan's uh, intro, uh, forward that in Langer's study of elderly people. Uh, talk about that. Right. Well, this is the famous counterclockwise study. Yes. Which is actually being made into a movie. Oh, really? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, so you know the results are dramatic. It's going to uh, star Jennifer Aniston as uh, Dr. Alan Langer. And this study was done in 1979. Langer and her colleagues took two groups of older men who were in the care of relatives. So in other words, they were not functioning independently. The control group went to this lovely uh, monastery up in New Hampshire, which uh, they made into a comfortable retreat for these gentlemen over the course of the week. And the control group was asked just to reminisce about their lives 20 years ago. And they had a lovely week. Uh, they have, of course, tested them thoroughly on every dimension of uh, mental acuity before and after the week. And the group that reminisced had a pleasant week and showed some minor improvements in their overall uh, sharpness of mind and memory and so on. The experimental group was asked to live 
as if it was 20 years earlier. So they put themselves fully into the mind set of 1959. They watch the movies of the time, the TV shows of the time on black and white television. They listened to the music. They talked about the current events of the time. And at the end of the week, the experimental group who lived as if they were 20 years younger tested out as though they were 20 years younger. <laughs> so their memories improved. Uh, and the great thing is within, within the first day of arriving, they started acting independently. They carried their own suitcases. They took over the kitchen and started cooking their own meals. They started forming discussion groups and playing uh, card games and just feeling much more vitality. My favorite result from the study is that one of the things they measured uh, was the change in their finger length. In one week of living as if they were 20 years younger, their fingers actually lengthened significantly. In other words, shriveled, arthritic, contracted uh, finger joints expanded and released and opened in just one week of changing the mindset about how old one really is. It's like Satchel Paige, most you know, famous quote said, how old would you be if you didn't know how old you was? <laughs> right, that's great, yeah, right. And then, then uh, there was a follow-up study that I think his assistant, Becca. Well, Becca Levy yeah. uh, did a number of great, great studies because Langer concluded basically that more than almost any other factor, uh, attitude uh, towards aging is profoundly significant. And Levy followed subjects over the course of decades, 650 people, so it's a significant group of people, divided into two groups. Those with a more negative attitude towards getting older, more pessimistic. Those who were grateful and embraced the opportunities of the future, whatever their age. The group with the positive attitude outlived the negative attitude group by an average of more than seven and a half years. Wow. So it's really significant. It is significant, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Um, also, is a great quote that you have a number of great quotes in the book, and I was struck by, by literally all of them. Old age is not for sisties. Right. Betty, Davis. <laughs> Betty Davis, right? <laughs> right. Well, this is the thing, and it's part of the tone of the book, is it's not just rah-rah, Pollyanna, pretending that everything about getting older is all wonderful because it's not. Let's get real. I mean, I just had total knee replacement surgery because my right knee wore out completely. I used that thing up. Two years ago, I had total hip replacement surgery because, you know, having done lots and lots of Aikido over the years and played basketball and tennis, I just wore these things out. So parts of us do clearly wear out as we get older, but the really exciting news is that the brain isn't one of them. Unlike the knee or the hip, the brain is designed to improve with use, and the only real question is, therefore, what are the best ways to use it, and that's what brain power is all about. It's really true. We're learning more about the brain than we've ever learned before, isn't it true? But dramatically, dramatically, and... The main thing that we've learned that is a huge transformation of, of, of scientific understanding in our lifetime is that, well, when we were, we were all children, the dominant paradigm of science was what I call the neurostatic paradigm. Uh, 
In other words, your brain was fixed at age five or six. That's as smart as you were going to be. That was your total neuronal endowment for life. And there you were. Moreover, once you hit age 25 or 30, you began an inevitable process of decline. And both of those notions have been thrown out. We now know uh, that your brain continues effectively to create itself, for better or worse, every day of your life, and that after age 25 or 30, you can go on improving your brain for the rest of your life. The new paradigm, of course, is people are familiar with the word neuroplasticity as opposed to the neurostatic. Uh, you know, but we actually grew up, it's even worse, we grew up with a notion of neuronecrosis, that your brain cells were dying and that uh, there was no hope as you got older, your memory would go, you'd never be as sharp as you were when you were younger. And it's just not, it's just not the case. So in interviewing neuroscientists for this book and gerontologists and physicians, there was a consensus among them that no, 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 the brain is plastic. It's designed to improve with use. And I was really curious in, to ask these neuroscientists, what specifically do you do? What do you recommend? What's most important from your point of view? What do you practice personally? What supplements do you take? Uh, <laughs> not just reading the research papers, but really interviewing them. How do you really apply this yourself? Yes. And so what I aimed to do was to abstract the essential, practical, research-validated things that the average person can do really for very low cost. Most of what you can do in the book is free, uh, that everybody can do. That, first of all, is research validated to prevent dementia, to prevent Alzheimer's. That's, that's step number one, a sort of defensive approach. Let's prevent dementia. Number two is actually go on improving. And the first thing is that even though many of uh, our listeners are familiar with the idea of neuroplasticity, they probably haven't really integrated into their core attitude about what it means to get older. We still tend to have this dominant negative image of aging, first of all, because it's what we grew up with as a science, uh, uh, and it takes a while to integrate a new paradigm into your practical behavior. Second, because all of our exposure in the media portrays older people as infirm, weak, uh, and effectively useless. I mean, you only see older people in the media, they're, they're in pharmaceutical commercials. It's the clapper. I mean, I've fallen down, I can't get up. No you, geezers. Geezers, codgers, curmudgeons, gramps, granny, as opposed to the wise, the elders, the sages, which is the, the wisdom of many of the world's traditional cultures, and they got it right. So the danger is, though, see, so you, you internalize this negative attitude, and especially Especially if you've been around somebody, uh, a parent, a grandparent who died of Alzheimer's, if you've been around that and to be a caregiver, it's very hard to avoid this mindset, mindset of this uh, inevitable decline towards dementia. And now that we understand the, the new paradigm of neuroplasticity, and there's another key word that goes with it, neurogenesis. So despite the fact that we grew up with this idea that your brain was static, no, it's not. You can generate new brain cells as you get older. Even more importantly, you're generating new connections potentially every single day. So if you learn to do that, and if you do the simple practices that we describe in the book, you can improve your mind 
every single day. And so the first practice is simply to really get what we're talking about now. If you understand this paradigm, the news is good. The neuroplasticity news is really positive. If you get that it's really designed to improve with use, you're already much more motivated to begin doing everything we ask you to do in the book. That's right. The, uh, so the, the other thing is interesting. Optimism counts when facing difficulties. That's really important. Big time. And then resilience. The resilience, resilience to come back. Anybody can be optimistic when everything's going their way. I mean, you know, if you're just, you know, your investments are doing well and your health is great and everybody loves you, you know, God bless, zippity doo I'm an optimist, no credit. <laughs> it counts when you're having a rough time, when uh, you're heartbroken, when you're in financial difficulty, you're having health problems, when you're having all those things happening at once. It count, That's when, of course, counts the most. I mean, just take, just take, I mean, uh, getting a, a diagnosis of, you know, osteoarthritis of the hip uh, that was so bad that I needed to have a hip replacement. And then osteoarthritis of the knee. I mean, these, these are painful things to try to accept. And my first reaction was to be upset and, oh, my God, I'm breaking down. I'm getting older. This is, you know, this is terrible. So I have very human, natural reactions to these things, as I, I expect most people do. The key mm -hmm. then is... How do you coach yourself? Because the, the pessimist says, oh my God, I'll never be the same. I'm losing it. But the optimist says, you know, everything I learned from the Aikido training I did that caused this to happen, I can use to continue improving for the rest of my life and recover effectively. I'm speaking with Michael J. Gelb, and he's the author, along with Kelly Howell, of Brain Power Improve Your Mind as You Age. My name is Michael Toms, and you're listening to New Dimensions. guest is Michael J. Gelb, and he's the author, along with Kelly Howe, of a book entitled Brain Power, Improve Your Mind as You Age. And if you'd like more information about Michael's work, you can go to the website, michaelgelb, G-E-L-B dot com. That's michaelgelb dot com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. Michael, Martin Seliman, uh, the creator of Positive Psychology and the author of uh, Learned Optimism, um, you referred to his work, and talk about that. Yes, well, Seligman came up with this uh, brilliant idea of uh, explanatory style, which basically is uh, the different style that optimists and pessimists have in the face of adversity. Pessimists coach themselves in a way that prevents resilience. Optimists coach themselves in a way that 
affirms resilience. So my self-coaching example with the diagnosis of osteoarthritis, the pessimistic explanation is I'll never be the same. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because you don't start thinking about what you're going to do to rehab to come back and be even stronger and more balanced than you were before. The optimist says, okay, I'll use everything I learn and come back from this. Moreover, I will take the month or two or three of downtime to deepen my compassion and my empathy for people who've spent much more time in uh, the hospital and under medical care than I have. So I'll use this as a time of spiritual development enrichment that will make my life more beautiful. So I, I feel better just telling you about this because this is really true. It's what I really did. And that's a practical application of Seligman's uh, explanatory style self-coaching. And Seligman found that optimists outperform the scores of their aptitude tests, pessimists underperform. Optimists don't get sick as often. When they do get sick, they recover faster. Pessimists get sick more often, take longer to recover. Optimists make a lot more money. Pessimists make less money, even though pessimists are better at accurately assessing the challenges in a given situation. So optimists really do seem to have rose-colored glasses, but they get better results almost across the board and they live longer. Why? Because they stay engaged. And when you're thinking positively, you are strengthening your immune system. That's part of why you're healthier and why you recover faster. When you're saying, oh my God, I'm sick and it's getting, you are weakening your immune system and that's why it takes longer to recover. So these, what's great is these are truths that many, many uh, people have known and taught for, uh, it's the perennial philosophy. But what's so great is that science has now really caught up with this. Uh, Dr. Norman Doidge is one of the uh, researchers who made neuroplasticity generally uh, known to the public. He wrote a marvelous book called The Brain That Changes Itself. I just want to read you Please. Uh, from Brain Power a little quote from the review of the New York Times science section about Deutsch's book. Deutsch features examples of clinical neuroplasticity, people recovering from seemingly impossible circumstances with the application of this new understanding of the brain. So the New York Times writes, the power of positive thinking finally gains scientific credibility. Mind-bending, miracle-making, reality-busting stuff with implications for all human beings, not to mention human culture, human learning, and human history. So this is a tremendous shift of our understanding. It really validates the notion of the power of your, of your attitude. So then you ask yourself the question, what are the most adaptive attitudes for aging intelligently? First is optimism, which is easier when you know that you're designed to improve. And then in the book, we advise that people take a daily dose of GFH, which is not the latest uh, uh, serum or, or hormone treatment. It stands for gratitude, forgiveness, and humor. It's also really important to consciously seek out role models for healthy aging to counter the negative effects of the images we find in the media. You know, Dave Barry, who wrote the classic work, Dave Barry Turns 40, said, advertising in America makes the process of aging appear about as attractive as death by maggot. <laughs> <laughs> so we need to consciously affirm positive examples, spend time with sages, the elderly, the wise, 
uh, your elders and, and be open and interested and you'll be amazed at what you can learn. How about some living examples of that? Yeah, yeah well, I'm lucky enough that I have my mom and dad uh, who are profiled in, in the book. So is Kelly's uh, uh, father-in-law. He's the opening story of the book is actually about him. Yes. Super sharp, amazing guy. Uh, my dad has a great line. He says, uh, nostalgia ain't what it used to be. So he's very present and future focused, very uh, active and alive. He takes Tai Chi classes. He sings in his choir. Uh, he leads a wine tasting club. He's in the gym three times a week. My mom was a therapist for many, many years. And now she leads two discussion groups uh, a week, which uh, really, that's a euphemism for therapy groups. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> that, you know, they, they, they naturally apply much of what uh, I've written about. So it was very helpful to have parents who are mentally sharp uh, and wise. Uh, having said that, uh, I've been spending time, lucky enough, uh, uh, I live in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and I met uh, recently Murray Gelman, who's one of the role models we mentioned in the book. He happens to be a personal friend now, uh, he's in his early 80s. He won the Nobel Prize in physics in 1969. His license plate still says quarks on it. Uh, he loves wine, which is how we met, because that's one of my passions. So he comes over to my house. We drink great wines together. And he's, I think he's 82 now. He's the sharpest mind that I have ever met. The most incisive and it, what's really fascinating, he has a childlike openness and curiosity combined with a critical laser-like uh, intensity that's, that's just, it keeps you on your toes. So, so being with Murray, being uh, in dialogue with him, sharing fine wine with him, I mean, it's, it's, it's really inspiring. It's really wonderful. I'm actually working on a book about... Uh, uh, about the way he looks at the world. He's an amazing naturalist. Uh, he studies the birds of the world. He told me he's seen 4,000 species and he wants to see the other wow. few thousand <laughs> while he's still around. Uh, passionate about the environment, uh, preserving nature, uh, a linguist of uh, amazing prowess uh, and still up on everything in physics. And, and of course he helped to found the Santa Fe Institute uh, complexity studies. He's still active there. He goes to his office on a regular basis, has dialogue with the young scientists who are there and the artists, uh, just as you know, brilliant and marvelous person. And But see, that's, that's not strange. That's what it's supposed to be. That's what we're trying to... This is not just, oh my God, isn't that wild? No. I mean, not everyone's going to be a, a Nobel Prize winner, but the, the idea of being a, a curious, of learning, of being vibrant, vital, alive, sharp, sexy, until you, boom, are gone. That, that's, that's certainly my vision, my intention, and I want it to be the vision and intention of the people who read this book. Well, you know, one of those things I've noticed about having interviewed a number of elders, that one of the things that happens is that, like, for instance, people like Buckminster Fuller and Joseph Campbell, um, uh, Sir John Templeton, they were all very curious and positive, and also they each had a sense of wonder, and they were open to new new things. George Leonard uh, too was great. I mean, I yes. used to do Aikido with George you know, right up until uh, you know, a couple of years before he, he passed away, and yes. he just had that open-minded, playful but serious, uh, and philosophical but practical. Uh, Yes. Student. You know, you know, that it's, it's, it, this is the second principle. 
it is continuous learning, which again has now been validated as something that helps specifically prevent dementia, Alzheimer's. Uh, Professor Joe Vergesi and his colleagues looked at the kinds of learning that are most effective. And this is the famous study where they found that people who play chess and bridge and other mental sports uh, generate perhaps the greatest resistance because it's simply because it's the most challenging thing you can do with your mind. But also very useful uh, learning a new language, learning to play a musical instrument. Turns out that learning to juggle is one of the best things you can do. There was a study by German researchers that showed that adults who practice juggling for 15 minutes a day for three months show significant improvement in both the gray and white matter of the brain. And this was revolutionary for two reasons. One is it proves something that as a former professional juggler myself, I always suspected, which is that juggling was good for your brain. But more than that, it was one of the experiments that helped to uh, provide evidence for the new paradigm of neuroplasticity. And you know, the simple reason we were able to, to, to prove this, technology. We, with MRIs and brain scans, all of a sudden, when you juggle, we can measure what's happening in your brain. And look at that. We can see that it's changing. We can see the new connections. So we're now able to measure it, having then uh, talked to uh, wonderful people like uh, Dr. Dan Amen, who is very gracious and supportive of uh, uh, brain power, try to get down to, okay, what if you don't want to play chess? What if you don't want to play bridge? What's the real, is there some way, some way we can cut across uh, these specific recommendations? And yes, it seems to be novelty, something new, something challenging, 15 minutes a day. That's not too much to ask to keep your mind alive and awake for the rest of your life. Yes, really. Yeah, <clears throat> it's a great quote from uh, uh, Donald O. Held that you had or, uh, neurons that fire together wired together. Right. Yeah. So this, and this is, a, this is the importance of uh, getting out of habitual patterns because if you're firing the same, you're wiring the same and you're grooving your brain and you're locking it down and you're making it more narrow. So novelty yields brain benefits. Uh, Marion Diamond, uh, the great neuroanatomist, uh, states as much. Uh, Michael Mesrenik, uh, who came up with the marvelous posit science uh, programs, uh, this is another consensus. You want to challenge your brain to do something new. 15 minutes a day is, not, is, is, is what it seems to take to actually make the, the changes in the neural pathways that are opening up new territory instead of just grooving your brain into the same old, same old day after day, year after year. That's the, that's the challenge. That's what we're up against. But all of us have the power by choosing to shift out of those habits. So the difference between uh, thinking optimistically positive and thinking like it's not it's negatively, it's not going to work, it's not going to work, it's not going to work. That is basic. That's that's a cultural thing. It's like we get we get embedded in that. How do we how do we shift out of it? How do we get out of it? Well, the facts are friendly. The first thing is just knowing that we're we're designed to improve. That optimists get better results, and that you can learn the positive explanatory style of the optimist. And the reason optimists generally get better results, besides the fact that they have, they're strengthening their immune systems, is they stay engaged. They stay engaged. That's why if you talk to any of the great leaders, any of the great minds, what's one word they always counsel, one thing they attribute their success to time after time, Thomas Edison, Winston Churchill, it's persistence. 
persistence, persistence, persistence. But if you're pessimistic, you don't persist. You stop, <laughs> you give up, you don't learn, you don't come back from adversity. You say, well, this will never change. It's a disaster, it ruins my whole life, and it's because I'm not good enough. So you give up. It's, one of my favorite comedians, Dom Irera, he says, uh, I go around, I tell the, the, the kids, I say, give up. There's no hope. Give up now. <laughs> <laughs> and you're listening to the laughter of Michael J. Gelb, who's the co-author with Kelly Howe of Brain Power: Improve Your Mind as You Age. My name is Michael Toms, and you're listening to New Dimensions. My guest is Michael J. Kelb. He's the author, along with Kelly Howell, of Brain Power, Improve Your Mind as You Age. And, uh, Michael, one of the people you mentioned in the book um, uh, was Byron Katie and uh, about the work. And, and she had uh, four, four, she, four questions about negative thought. Is it true? Can you absolutely know that it's true? How do you react? What happens when you believe that thought? Who would you be without that thought? Can we talk about that? Sure, we can. Yes, well, Byron Katie is an amazingly gifted, practical teacher for getting you out of those habitual brain grooves that are associated with all kinds of negative thinking and, and limiting self-belief. And Kelly and I believe that we all need all the help we can get when it comes to freeing ourselves from those kinds of habitual patterns of negative thought. So we give you the research on gratitude, forgiveness, and humor. We give you the research from Martin Seligman on learned optimism. We give you all these examples of positive role models from people uh, getting older. And then Byron Katie's work is just another uh, metaphor for this process of rewiring your brain, getting out of those habitual patterns, and Katie understands in the tradition of Socrates that our brain is designed to respond to the process of questioning. When we ask a question, it opens up new possibilities. So uh, we, we uh, take the classic thing that, that people always say, I'm getting, my memory is getting worse as I get older. Yes. And you know, it's, it, it just, I mean, if you have a 10-year-old, uh, ask any teacher, how many things the average 10-year-old forgets in school every day? They forget tons of stuff. And the teacher says to the 10-year-old, you forgot your iPod and your jacket and your hat. And the 10-year-old never says, oh, my God, I'm 10 years old and my memory's going. They don't say, oh, I'm having a junior moment. <laughs> but people, after age 25, 30, they forget something. Oh, senior moment. Oh, I'm losing it. Oh, my God, I'm not what I And they build this negative case that does indeed become a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I just used uh, Katie's four questions in the book to take a, a classic thing that I've heard many people say, uh, I'm always forgetting things. My memory's getting worse with age. Pretty common negative uh, self-limiting uh, pattern that, that many people have. So Katie would suggest that we ask ourselves, well, is it true? Are you always forgetting things? 
Do you ever remember anything? Second question, can you absolutely know that it's true? Because if we reflect, we have to say, well, absolute knowledge is somewhat elusive. Third question, how do you react? What happens when you believe that thought? And this is really interesting because I suggest people bring your attention to the physical reactions you have when you experience a pessimistic thought. What happens to your posture and your breathing? So you start to get the kinesthetic components. Usually you'll find that your breathing uh, is limited and that your posture is contracting when you hold that thought. So suddenly you have more self-awareness of what that thought is doing to you. Then, very powerful question that Katie asks, who would you be without that thought? And I find that that question is a wonderful invitation for people to let go of their attachment to the negative thought. Because if you think, who would I be? Well, I might be a happier, more vital, <laughs> younger person if I gave up that thought. Then she takes it to, a, this is one of the real genius insights that she brings, very practical, very simple. But she says, once you've investigated your issue with the four questions, uh, you do what she calls a turnaround. So it's almost like you say the opposite of, of what you originally uh, stated. So uh, instead of I'm always forgetting things. My memory's getting worse with age. You could say, I always remember important things. My ability to remember what's important is improving with age. Or, I'm skilled at forgetting unimportant things. This improves the quality of my life as I get older. <laughs> so it's a classic, you know, NLP has been teaching us to reframe for, for many years. But uh, Katie offers this simple, all-purpose reframe point, which is, well, turn it around and, and say the opposite and, and notice then what happens to your posture, to your breathing, to your, your sense of well-being. Uh, and you, you know, if we're measuring, if we have you on a brain scan while you're doing the four questions and the turnaround, I, I don't know if anybody's done this yet, but I'd bet you'd see all sorts of uh, new pathways light up. Yeah. Yeah. It brings to mind uh, Bruce Lipton's work, uh, uh, biology of belief and, and that whole aspect of how we're actually uh, creating new neurons all the time. All the time. Well, I actually have a quote from Bruce in, in, in the book, in the yes. opening chapter. Um, he writes, I was exhilarated by the new realization that I could change the character of my life by changing my beliefs. I realized that there was a science-based path that would take me from my job as a perennial victim to my new position as co-creator of my destiny. And what that really comes down to is your view on what's going to happen as you get older. I mean, everything else you want to learn, do, accomplish, achieve, if you get this, it, it just takes your, your fundamental approach to life every day to a deeper, richer, more fulfilling, happier, optimistic, positive, joyful, grateful, forgiving place. I want to change the track a moment and go back to when you were talking about uh, with your uh, your uh, this the, the smartest man you've ever been with and that um, drinking wine. Hasn't it been shown that wine is uh, is helpful towards uh, improving brain power? Well, this is one of the really thrilling things to know. <laughs> it turns out that uh, moderate consumption of red wine, first of all, it's just a fantastic antioxidant. Uh, it seems to have, uh, I think a lot of the other benefits are social. Uh, besides the fact that it helps with digestion, I think part of it is that it's just so pleasurable. 
it gets you to focus your senses. It's more complex. It's more nuanced than just about any other drink. It complements food, improves your digestion. It's usually shared. Uh, uh, it creates a, a slight inhibition of the left hemisphere dominant uh, verbal uh, logical mind that a lot of us are in all day and gently opens up a little bit more of the right hemisphere, intuitive, imaginative, playful, poetic uh, aspect of, of the psyche, so that's, which is why it's been shared in the great gatherings of genius throughout human history. You know, the symposium in ancient Greece, uh, Plato and Socrates, the word symposium means to drink wine together. At uh, the uh, palaces of the Medici, Leonardo, Michelangelo, Galileo, Machiavelli, uh, all met to share fine wine. And by the way, all those geniuses own vineyards. And then, of course, the founding fathers, Jefferson, uh, Franklin, Washington, all shared fine wine and created this idea called life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, ben Franklin said that wine is proof that God loves us and loves to see us happy. So sharing some fine wine together in moderation and then finishing with some high-quality dark chocolate, starting your morning with some really good quality coffee or drinking green tea, very powerful uh, antioxidant, positive effects uh, on mood. Uh, it's just so the more we learn, the more we realize that all these things in moderation, it's always key, in moderation, enhance the quality of life and help to improve our minds as we get older. So speaking of Jefferson, he also talked about uh, walking. Was, uh, he said walking exercise. is the best possible exercise. Yes. And exercise is one of the critical keys to improving your mind as you get older. Much of what passes for memory loss over the years has nothing to do with your chronology. It has everything to do with your conditioning because your brain is on average about 2% of your body's weight it uses more than 20% of the oxygen. So in one fascinating study, they took older people, tested their memory, put them in an oxygen tent for 15 minutes. What do you guess? Their scores went up dramatically. Another more uh, serious intervention, memory test, carotid artery surgery to clear out the flow of blood to the brain and therefore oxygen, memory scores went up dramatically. Don't wait till you need carotid artery artery surgery, however, and don't count on an oxygen tent. Just get up off the couch and go for a walk, go to a dance class, do something on a daily basis, not just because you want to look better and feel better. Swimming is great, uh, but because you will be strengthening the oxygen supply to your brain as you get older and maintaining your mental acuity. You now have these oxygen bars in, in LA. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that something? It's like you go in and you get a whiff of oxygen. It's like something for Star Wars, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's amazing, you know. That, and then they have these little little energy uh, canisters you can get in, you know, the local market, you know. Yeah, local. well, the good news, you know, the really good news is if you if you have a program of regular exercise— and we give a lot of guidance in the book. Uh, what's the optimal way to do it if you're really busy? Uh, what's a strategy for crafting a, a program if you're out of shape and if you're in shape? What's the best way for optimizing your uh, approach to everything that you do? Uh, and the, you know, what's really great, uh, one, one study, uh, they put people in their 90s on a program in weight training 
and they started to show significant benefits across the board, not just uh, physical, but also mental. So this is something you can, you can turn around at any age. Having said that, it's better to begin it now, whatever age you are. Yes, right. The um, humor. Why is humor important? <laughs> I don't know. If you have to ask, we may not be able to help you. <laughs> uh, well, you know, we all know, you know Norman Cousins' famous uh, story of uh, recovering from illness uh, through laughter therapy. And his, uh, this was anecdotal, but he inspired a lot of research. And laughter is a fantastic workout. It's oxygenating for your whole system. It raises he your immune Laurel system. He watched and Hardy movies. He watched right, all the silly movies he could. He had friends tell him jokes. And... Uh, it, it's a great story. It's a classic now, uh, but it's gotten to the point where uh, uh, people uh, have even uh, created uh, laughter yoga, uh, which is a fabulous discipline where people get together. It turns out that even if you start by faking a laugh, you will find that soon you're laughing because it's so absurd, and <laughs> and you're getting all, you're getting all these benefits. It's immune boosting. It's mood boosting. Uh, it oxygenates your system. Uh, it it it's um, joie de vivre on a daily basis. Yeah, really. So it's good to uh, have some fun and to laugh a bit. It's also sustaining in, in in adversity. You know, people who can laugh in the face of difficulties are more resilient and tend to be able to create a more positive, uh, explanatory uh, story for whatever has happened in order to spur them forward. So it it gives us perspective. It helps us manage stress, and stress is probably the greatest cause of the symptoms associated with the years going by. And when it comes to countering stress in our crazy world, we all need all the help we can get. So you know, I, tell, I, I, I like to tell in my classes, I, I, I quote uh, uh, the great sage Stephen Wright, who said, uh, I'm addicted to placebos. <laughs> he said, I tried to quit, but I don't know if I have or not. I'm speaking with Michael J. Gelb. He's the author, along with Kelly Howell, of Brain Power, Improve Your Mind as You Age. My name is Michael Toms, and you're listening to New Dimensions. Speaking with Michael J. Gelb, and he's the author, along with Kelly Howell, of Brain Power, Improve Your Mind as You Age. And we want to talk about uh, Kelly's work uh, and synchronizing the brain and hemisync. So let's talk about that. Yes. Well, 
Kelly is Kelly is the creator of Brain Sync. Well, she's one of the originators of uh, the practical applications of uh, binaural beat technology. And the origin of this book is that Kelly and I happen to be friends. She lives in Santa Fe. And we get together, drink wine, talk about the mind, talk about uh, helping people overcome stress. I was telling her about some of the themes of books I was working on. And she shared with me some of her CDs. So I travel a lot. I get jet lag. I'm going back and forth. And I put them on my iPod and put them on my headphones and found that uh, when I played her Delta Wave program, it just took the edge off so that I was able to ease into dreamland even with the jet lag. And I like to meditate. I've studied with many meditation masters over the years. Sometimes my only chance to meditate is when I'm in an airplane. And it's not always the most conducive environment. Yes. <laughs> uh, but I put on my headphones and I dial up Kelly's Theta Wave program. And it's kind of like training wheels for meditation. It, it puts your brain into the brainwave state that's indistinguishable from an advanced meditator. So Kelly and I were, were talking about uh, uh, the eff efficacy of this work and how she developed it. And we started together exploring a project to, to write about uh, how people could get more access and appreciate the benefits of this binaural beat training. When it occurred to us that this was one of the absolute best things people could do to help improve their minds as they got older. So all of a sudden, the aha was, well, let's figure out what are all the things, the essential things, the practical things, the research-validated things that people can do to improve their minds as they get older. So we can give them a comprehensive, accessible, simple, research-validated program, and then we'll give them a CD uh, of the BrainSync program to add the value of the, the book to a whole other dimension. And then we decided it was unwieldy to do the CD with the book, so we just have a, a download that when people buy our book, uh, they get a complimentary access. There's a code in the book. They can go to the website. They can download this uh, BrainSync audio program designed to accompany the book. Because learning to, uh, to get adequate rest, which most Americans are sleep-deprived, uh, learning how to optimize... Uh, the secret of many of the greatest geniuses who ever live, which is to take naps. Uh, Leonardo took naps a couple times a day. Edison used to take naps on his laboratory desk twice a day. Bucky took naps, yeah. And Dr. Sarah Mednick wrote this great book called Take a Nap, Change Your Life. So now, again, there's tons of research behind what these great minds, Bucky, Leonardo, Edison, all did intuitively. Now we know that it's uh, enhancing your, your ability to rest, but also to integrate uh, ideas and new learning. So it helps you consolidate the, the new synapses that you're creating when you're attending a seminar or, or working on a new uh, creative project. So we, we wrote in the book guidance. Uh, uh, first, we help people understand the research behind it. 
then some of the guidance about uh, how to integrate naps into your day, how to get sounder, more restful, more fulfilling sleep. We talk about uh, the amazing research on the benefits of uh, meditation for your body and your mind, leaving aside the spiritual benefits, the, the proven benefits for your, just for your health. It's one of the best things you can do for yourself. 20 minutes of meditation gives you the physiological equivalent of three hours of sound sleep. So we guide readers as best we can to uh, sleep, rest, relax, meditate more effectively. But then we say, you know what? Let's actually give them this free download, free if you buy the book. <laughs> uh, full disclosure, transparency, you have to yes. buy the book, then yes. it's free. Um, and you, you can then actually download this, listen to it, and you'll find yourself in the brainwave state that you, that you uh, uh, desire, whether for sleep or meditation or uh, to enhance your alertness uh, and preparation for activity. Someone else, uh, Henry Ford, he used to uh, go home for lunch, and after lunch, he would take a nap. Well, you know who Ford's hero was, of course, was Thomas Edison. Yes. When you go to the Ford Museum in Dearborn, you walk in. It's an amazing museum. Yes. Ford completely recreated Edison's original laboratories. But the most fascinating exhibition, the first thing you see when you walk in, there's this little cabinet with a glass cover, and there's a vial in it, a clear glass vial with a cork stopper on it. And the caption underneath reads, this vial contains the last breath of Thomas Edison. Ford sent his son to be there when Edison passed away and told him to put the test tube there, Edison's last exhalation, and then quickly, quickly stop it up and bring it to the museum. So whether he actually captured the last breath or not, we don't know. But the, the, the metaphor uh, is a powerful one because Edison, of course, was the one who said uh, uh, genius is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. And what he meant by perspiration, of course, was persistence. And as we uh, began by stating, you're not persistent unless you are optimistic, unless you believe that you can create something that you can improve as you get older, for example. There was a story of the, the maybe, maybe apocryphal, but uh, someone said, Edison, how could you, how could you, you know, have so many failures and still going to get, yeah, I learned. You know, I I learned ninety nine ways to that it didn't work. You know, that that was and so again, it was it was his investors on the storage battery after he'd failed a few thousand times, and yeah. they said, "When are you going to get results?" He said, "Results? I've gotten lots of results. I know thousands of things that won't work." Yeah. Now you know how powerful his uh, optimism and how charismatic it was. At the end of that meeting, they gave him more money, and eventually the storage battery did work, and yes. he made millions and millions from it. Yes. Yeah, so you know, it's extraordinary what we can do. You know, it's, it's really quite something why we don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, but, <laughs> but that's the great thing is when people, I think it really helps to know uh, that the consensus among neuroscientists now, it has radically changed in our lifetime. Your brain really is designed to improve with use. Just understanding that. Integrating that, contemplating that, read, read. You know, I the, we have the chapter and verse of the research uh, 
on neuroplasticity. You can read the exact words of the researchers who've established this. I call, I talk to them personally. Uh, Professor Marco Iacoboni at the Amason Lovelace uh, Brain Mapping Center, MD, PhD, one of the more brilliant people I've also had the pleasure to meet. Very, very clear. Your brain is designed to improve with use. The only question, what are the best ways to use it? So these are things that the average person can do. Uh, first, adopt these more positive attitudes. Learn a positive uh, uh, self-coaching style. Learn something new 15 minutes a day. Get some form of regular exercise. Eat a healthy, balanced diet and savor the joy of dining every day. Red wine, chocolate, doesn't sound so bad. And just follow uh, Jonathan uh, 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 Michael Pollan's uh, advice in The Omnivore's Dilemma. Don't eat anything your great-great-grandmother wouldn't recognize as food, right? Rich social interaction, invest in your social wealth. People who, are, who define themselves as lonely are more uh, prone to Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia. People with active social lives, much less so. Create a rich, beautiful, positive, we call it a brain-nourishing environment. Um, you know, in our office, we have a, a default setting of a 20-hour Mozart loop for example, because we're familiar with the research on the Mozart effect, how listening to Mozart in, in hospital wards, not only do the patients get better, the nurses report greater job satisfaction. They play Mozart in uh, plant nurseries, the plants grow better. And of course, they play it in dairies, the cows give more milk. Yeah, right. they, call it, they call it the Mozart effect. <laughs> and then rest, uh, uh, naps, some kind of uh, regular meditation practice and supplement that with Kelly's amazing brain sync program that, that, that comes with the book. Yeah. One of the things that at the end of the book, there's this great uh, top 10 favorite last words is great. Thank you. <laughs> it's just really quite something. That, um, like there was uh, Thomas Edison, oh my, it is very beautiful over there. Uh, Humphrey Bogart. I should never have switched from Scotch to Martinez. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. Well, I just thought when, when I was trying to put the book together, and I never, you know, the idea of a conclusion is sort of so final, uh, but we do come to a certain finality uh, in terms of our embodiment on this uh, uh, plane. So Stephen Covey says, begin with the end in mind. So I'm thinking, what's the end in mind? As well, what are your last words? What's your last thought? What's the last thing you would want to share with us? And I love like, Auguste Renoir, maybe the, one of the supreme examples of the uh, love of learning throughout life. As he's dying, the last thing he does, he paints a flower and he says, I think I'm beginning to learn something about art. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> it is great, yeah. And uh, Groucho Marx, die, my dear? Why, it's, that's the last thing I'll do. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and, and this one's great from uh, Charles... Uh, uh, Gusman, who was a script writer for lots of uh, radio and TV shows, his last words, not making this up, he says, and now for a final word from our sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> it's great, yeah. Uh, also, you, you referred to uh, Huxley's Brave New World. Uh, best way to evaluate all things in life is to imagine we're viewing them from the perspective of our final hours. And Huxley, of course, uh, he was an amazing yeah. I was just well. I was just uh, teaching at Esalen last weekend, and I, got, I was lucky enough to teach in the Huxley Room. Ah, great! I'm speaking with uh, Michael Gelb. My guest has been Michael Gelb, and he, along with Kelly Howell, uh, wrote Brain Power: Improve Your Mind as You Age. 
published by New World Library. And if you'd like more information, you can go to the website, michaelgelb.com. That's G-E-L-B, michaelgelb.com. You can also get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. My name is Michael Toms, and you've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3429. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You, too, can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions, as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.